And, uh, and this is a guy that has such a, uh, such a humility. You can tell he's, he's been broken, right? Yeah, look at it. Look. Way, to, way to ruin it, right? <laughs> look, I'm done. Here's your mic, dude. Go for it. Morning, everybody. Uh, it's good to be here again in sunny Camden. Time to go home, I think. Uh, the weather's changed. I was here last year and, and shared a little bit about a project that we had going on in a, a slum area of, uh, of Hyderabad called Isnapur, uh, a population of 20,000 people with no uh, hope, no medical centre. A guy that has been pastoring for some time and he's picked up 32 children off the streets that he's been looking after. And I just want to uh, come back today and say in the last year since I was here, We've uh, more or less completed the project. So, um, yeah. And some of you gave toward that. Some of you, you know, donated and uh, we really appreciate that. So, uh, you know, a lot of these big ministry organizations, missions organizations, you know, raise thousands and thousands of dollars. And, um, but for a little organization, which isn't really an organization, it's just me and the missus, um, <clears throat> For us to raise uh, in about 18 months somewhere in the region of $140,000 is pretty good, eh? But the interesting thing is um, we don't get any credit for that because uh, I don't even know where it came from. It came from people like you and people that have given. You know, even at a little junior school, and I went to share with the pupil council, the school council, they were all seven and eight-year-olds, and uh, showed them the picture of the children, and they decided that the, the school ought to give a £1,000, about $1,500, to this uh, enterprise. So you'd be surprised where all the money's come from. It's come from Christians, it's come from non-Christians, it's come from all over the place. But uh, I wanted to show you a few pictures. If you could put that one up for me, that'd be great. That was the, uh, that was the original building, it was, a, it was a church. It looks really good, doesn't it? I wish you had a place like that, don't you? Right here in Camden, you'd, you'd be, people would be flocking to you. Anyway, I'm going to, I don't even know whether this is going to work. It isn't so my friend's going to, every time I point at him, he's going to press a button. These are the kids, some of the kids from, um, that's Pastor Simon there and his wife Sunita. And he just picked up all these kids. Thank you. There was about four or five of those 32 that had a, bit, uh, a bed like that. And that's all their gear. Most of them just slept on the, on the floor of the church building there. Just carry on, just keep scrolling them through and we'll show you. So that's what we did to the building. We improved it a lot. Uh, <coughs> opened the land up and got the plot there. And we started to build. There, there we are all praying over it. Thank you. And uh, there's me starting the whole thing. They call it a, um, you know, a breaking the ground ceremony. Everything you do, you pray over it. And then that little shovel there, if I can, if I can show you it, I'll go back a bit. See that little shovel? Oh no! Oh, it's working now. It ought not to be. Anyway, that little shovel there—that was Jean's, um, and and she dug all the holes, and uh, so Jean did all that. So, so that really helped. Okay, thank you. And then we brought some machinery, and that's to drill a bore a bore well. That went down about 420 feet. So they've actually got free water, loads of it, 
And then they start building, you can see the health and safety aspect of things. Uh, hard hats and, um, and special boots and stuff like that. There's certain rules and regulations that govern everything, thank you. And then uh, they start to, those, uh, the scaffold in there, holding it all up, that's bamboo poles. So, um, you know, just the way they do it over there, you know. It's, and then they start building it up. And so the, basically the bottom floor is going to be a medical centre uh, and the middle floor is going to be a children's home and there's going to be a top floor as well. Thank you. So they just keep building it up there. They're working on it and, uh, yep, just carry on scrolling them through. And then there's the third floor going up. The top floor is going to be a a refectory, kitchens and a a little um, place for the pastor and his wife to live, some accommodation for them because they'll be on site looking after the kids the whole time. And we just carried on building and, uh, okay, just keep scrolling through. Yep, and again, keep going, keep going. There we go, things are taking shape, keep going. Now they've got the scaffolding on the outside because they're painting it. Okay, carry on. Those, that's a, a room inside. These are all in process. And now once you start getting some paint on the walls, yep, carry on. That's the balcony on the outside that around the perimeter. Yep, that's the kitchen in process. And then there's the kitchen being finished off. There it is. Fantastic. Now, <laughs> that there in, in Isnapur is the equivalent of having the Empire State Building in Port Clyde, right? <laughs> Everybody knows it's there. The interesting thing is it's a Hindu um, slum area. The president of the village, they call it, is a Hindu. They're, all the politicians are Hindus. And uh, they've come to the church that meets there in the, in the, in the waiting room at the bottom and said that uh, they're so pleased with what, the Christ, what Jesus' church has done in that place that they're going to give them some land so they can build a church building on it. So that's probably the next project for them. To, uh, so that's where it came from. And then go on again, and that's where, it's, uh, that's where we're at. So, at the end of November, we're going to uh, do the official opening and dedication of the building and so on. So, I'm really looking forward to that. And that means... The only thing that we've got left to do, basically, is to furnish it and to equip it, you know, with all the IV poles and the, you know, the examination beds, the stethoscopes and all that sort of stuff. And we're pretty well on the way to that, actually. I probably need about another $10,000. And I, actually, I've probably got at least six of those already so so things so so there you go right so just carry on just carry on just carry on a little bit more and again so those those were the where the kids lived before and carry on and there they are on the on the outside there and and here they are in there that's their new dormitory um they're all very happy about it thank you and uh, that's where they were living, uh, sleeping, some of them and were lucky enough to get a little bed. And now they're showing you what they're going to do in there when they get a bed. So uh, we've got to get them a bed each and uh, they're going to be in bunk beds. And um, So there we are. Okay. So thank you for everybody that contributed toward that. We really appreciate it. And um, good. Okay. I think I'm done. Hallelujah. I thought you were moving then. I thought you thought I'd finished.
you did say I had seven minutes. I've still got two left. So, um, hallelujah. So, uh, what I'd like to do, if, if this jolly thing works, I'd like to share some, some thoughts with you. You know, I really felt on my, on my spirit, I, I don't normally just come out, I just felt, you know, to, to ask Pastor Quinton, you know, if it was all right just to share that. I, I just felt so deeply on my spirit that the Father is looking at somebody here. I mean, I don't know one or, or multiple, but he's looking at somebody here and his heart is reaching out to you and he loves you and he just wants you to come to him. Don't stay away. And, um, and I just felt, I don't know who that is, but... Um, and you know what? You don't have to come to the front and respond to an altar call. I'm glad you did it the way you did it. And it's just it's your heart and his heart, you know, just, just, just respond to that. I, I, I want to talk about three invitations that Jesus gave to people and I think are relevant to us here this morning, wherever we're up to in our faith or lack of faith. And the invitations that Jesus issues are come to me, follow me, and abide in me. They're invitations. And, you know, one of the problems that I have with the way things are done often is that we have this kind of idea that there's a circle and um, Jesus is in the middle of it and you're either in the circle or you're outside of the circle and, 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 and our aim is just to get inside the circle, right? Or there's a line, you know, and on one side you're, you're a Christian and the other side you're not a Christian and if you can just get over the line, you're, you're all right, you know, that's enough. But that isn't the way Jesus uh, intends us to, to look at it. You see, because uh, it's not a geographical situation, the kingdom of God, Basilia, the Greek says, is the rule and reign. It's not a geographical, it's the rule and reign. Now, now a rule and a reign and an authority and a dominion is total. You can't just get over the line, and, you know. And, and what Jesus said, he said, he said to us, he said, go and make disciples. Now, I'm big on discipleship. In fact, I'm so big on it that I've, I've written a book on it. Well, actually, they've sold like hotcakes. They don't taste as good, but they sold like hotcakes. So if you'd like one, you could see Jean. Stand up, Jean. Give us a twirl. Uh, that's Jean. And, uh, yep, she's my young wife and, uh, and beautiful assistant. And if you'd like one of those books, you know, go and see her and she'll sort you out. But anyway, the point of, that I'm trying to make is that Jesus told us to go and make disciples. Now, a disciple, the word is mathetes, Disciples, mathetes, means a learner, right? So we're all learning. I'm learning. And I think the thing is, I've realized the more I get to know, the more I realize how much I don't know. And so I'm still learning. And probably that book which I, 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 I wrote since I was here last time um, is probably out of date now because uh, I've got so many more revelations than I had. So it uh, probably needs rewriting, but that ain't going to happen any time soon because um, that involves work. And, uh, and uh, so anyway, I, I, the first invitation um, that I want to talk about uh, is found in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. And Jesus said, Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am 
gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, for me, uh, this invitation has three invitations, three in one, which you'd expect, wouldn't you, from somebody that's in the Godhead, right? (laughs) So, anyway, he says, come to me if you are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. So, the first invitation that Jesus says is come. Come to me and I will give you rest. For me, this is an invitation to salvation. You may be burdened by the way you've lived your life, the sins which we've all committed. We're all sinners, right? All have sinned and come short of the glory or the perfection of God. And uh, so we need a saviour. And uh, you only need to tune into Jimmy Swaggart to know that. But the fact of the matter is we all need a saviour. Amen? And he says, come to me and I will give you rest. I'll give you peace. Okay, so that's the first call. Then he goes on, take my yoke upon you, right? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your soul. So the first one says, you come to me and I'll give you rest. Now you come and learn of me and you will find rest for your soul. So you get it from the beginning and then you figure out how to find it for yourself. Okay, by learning. And what are we to learn? We're learning Jesus. How to think like him, how to speak like him and how to act like him. Does that happen by putting your hand up in a meeting and saying shabba-dabba-doo? No. It's a lifetime having Christ fully formed in you. We're in training for reigning. And that's what I love about your equipping, Wednesday night's equipping. You are going to be put through some training for reigning because, you see, you see, the kingdom of heaven is coming on earth. That's why we have to pray every day. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Peter, the apostle, says, he says this, he says, for we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth wherein righteousness dwells. Now, the point is this, that we are heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. We are labourers, co-labourers with Christ. And what happens on earth for eternity is down to us. And we have to be trained, a bit like Prince Harry, you know, the, the, who, who could possibly be the, um, William rather, is the next in, in, in line after his dad. Um, anyway, but the point is this. You think you've got problems, right, with Trump and Clinton, but anyway, we won't go there. But uh, anyway, so, um, so he's in training for the day that he is going to rule. And that's what discipleship is. It's about us learning Jesus so that we rule and reign with him. He is the ruler. He is King Jesus, but we have been called as his disciples to learn him so that we think like him, we speak like the Father, we act like the Father, and we are in training for reigning. So Wednesday nights, get yourself here because you need it, okay? It doesn't just happen to you. It doesn't just, uh, it doesn't just drop on you all of a sudden. I mean, we all love that scripture, don't we? That, you know, when we see him, we'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. And so we don't have to do anything. It just, all of a sudden, in the blink of an eye, all of a sudden you become mature, grown up and know everything. Doesn't happen that way. 
disciple, learner, mathetes. Anyway, so, it says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, the yoke is not only his teaching, but it's also, it's also what you used. You know, when I go to India, we have a yoke of oxen, and, and they still have those wooden yokes, and, and one animal is yoked with other. What he's saying is here, he says, I'm, I'm gentle and humble in heart. So I'm not like, I, come and learn from me, but I'm not like a, an angry policeman or, a, or a, a, an horrible school teacher. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm gentle, and come and learn of me. Take my yoke upon you. In other words, you're going to learn now not only to come to him for salvation, not only to come to him now to learn, but you're actually going to come to him to learn how to serve as well because it's not going to be you doing it. And that's why, you know, because sometimes, you know, I don't know about you, I look at that verse, it says, my yoke's easy and my burden's light. I said, well, how come it seems so hard and so heavy? And probably because we're carrying the wrong yoke. But if he is yoked on the other side of it, guess what? It does. It's a lot easier and it's a lot lighter. So here we are. And you will find rest. The second part is to come to him and learn. And then the third part is to come to him and serve. And then in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 20, as Jesus is walking beside the Sea of Galilee, it says, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. This is actually an echo of the second two parts of come to me, right? He's saying, follow me, be my disciples, Learn uh, from me how to be what I am and to do what I do. And that's exactly what, I don't know if you've ever read a book by Rob Bell. I mean, I know he sometimes he, he, he writes some stuff that's controversial. But he wrote a book called Velvet Elvis. It's definitely worth a read. And he talks about how young Jewish boys grew up, how they went to school and had to learn, you know, the first five books of the Bible off by heart, you know. <laughs> this is normally the part where I say, how many of you have got a hundred verses committed to memory? And everyone goes, <laughs> but the point is, now they had to learn the first five books because most of them, most of them didn't make it. So they got sent home to learn the family business. Anyway, then they'd move on from about eight years old till about 11 years old or 12 years old, something like that. And, and then they'd go to the next, uh, like the, the next level where they learn all the rest of the scriptures, the prophets, the, the, the oral traditions, the wisdom, the whole bit. And, uh, and, and then the best of the best, then that pass that, they learn all that, uh, then they go on. But the rest of them, most of them failed again at that point. So they go on to learn the family business. And only the very best of the best, the creme de la creme, can apply to a rabbi to become one of his Talmudim, one of his disciples. Now, uh, uh, the rest of them have all gone home. They've learned farming, fishing, whatever it is. They've gone home to learn the family business, start families of their own, so on and so forth. But just the very best of the best of the best come and apply to a rabbi. And the rabbi wants to know whether this pimply kid that stood in front of him can actually eventually do what he does and be what he is. 
And it's only until he's absolutely certain that he, that that kid can do that because he's going to have him for 15 years. From the age of 15 to the age of 30 where a, a rabbi typically starts his public, uh, ministry, he's, he's got this kid. And, but if he's absolutely certain that this boy, and, and it was boys and them, but of course now it's girls as well. We realize that, don't we? But anyway, so if this kid can, he's convinced that this kid can do what he does and be what he does and spread his yoke, his teaching, you know, uh, he will say to that boy, come, follow me. And here we are, there's another invitation. After come to me, he's now saying to these guys, follow me. Now, the interesting thing is that these guys are fishing, right? And it says, we know they're, and the reason they're fishing is because they're fishermen. <laughs> now, that's a mind-blown revelation for you. Just meditate on that. And the reason they're fishermen is because they blew it. And they never made the grade. They never made the cut. They got sent home to learn the family business. And here's this rabbi, the rabbi of all rabbis, and he comes up to these guys and he says to them, come, follow me. In other words, I believe that you can do what I do and you can become what I am. And so here's a rabbi that doesn't choose the best of the best, the creme de la creme, but he chooses the not-so-goods, the failures. Hallelujah. People like me. Hey! I mean, not people like Quentin, but failures, people like me, you know. Shut up, Asunda. And so he says, follow me. And I'm thinking, wow. You know, because the problem that we've got is that the church today isn't full of disciples. It's full of believers, but believers who do this. And watch the guy that stands up there and calls the shots. But his job isn't to do the ministry. His job is to equip you to do the ministry. He has to do the ministry himself as well, of course, because... You don't equip people just by what you know, but what you do and who you are. And so these guys, and so there was a guy called Yose Ben Yose who was a, who, who was a, 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 a Jewish rabbi and he said, may the dust of your rabbi's feet be upon you. In other words, you're walking about, following him, whatever he's doing. Why did, why did Peter want to walk on water? What's that about? Have you, anybody tried walking on water? Have you not? Why not? I've tried. I didn't, I didn't get very far, but I tried. Because, see, it, why do I want to heal the sick? To give me a big name and, you know, and, you know. Because my rabbi does it. I've seen him walk on water. I won't ever go. That's how Peter was. And we, we don't get it right all the time. Even coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration, they're having a big kerfuffle because a guy comes along and says, I brought my son to your, to your disciples uh, and they couldn't heal him. Oh, goodness me, how long must I be with you? See, the problem is that Peter's out there walking on the water, not because he wants to have a good testimony for the next, uh, the next convention meeting, it's because he's seen his, 
He's seen his rabbi do it and he wants to do it. But the interesting thing is, he sees the wind and he sees the waves and all of a sudden, you know, he starts sinking and he shouts out, Lord, save me. And of course, Jesus gets him in and he says, oh, you of a little faith, why did you doubt? Um, who, did, who was Peter doubting? Wasn't Jesus. Jesus was doing all right, thank you very much. He wasn't sinking. The problem was he was doubting himself. Hello? Anyone been there? See, what I've, see we're, always ta- we're always taught believe in, believe in Jesus. Trust God. Aren't we? And that's right. But what I'm learning is, actually, Jesus believes in me. And he actually trusts me. I wouldn't trust me, but he does. He must know something. And see, this is the thing, friends. This is the thing. <laughs> he did, you didn't, you know, call him. He called you. Amen. See, if you, if you did the joining up, <laughs> if you did the joining up, you can always think, well, oh, maybe I made a mistake. But Jesus never makes mistakes. So when he says, follow me, he says, I trust you. And if you'll follow me, and if you'll learn of me, you'll begin to become like me. And it's the steps on the way. Where are you? Are you just over the line? Are you just inside the circle? It doesn't matter. I'd sooner be outside the circle, but on my way to Jesus, than be in the circle and, and got me back turned to him, towards him. Because it isn't about going to heaven when you die. Because the good news is a good news of a kingdom of which he is a king and we are part, privileged to be part of it. Right. Okay. Let me, let me finish off with a, the, third, the third thing. This third one is 17 times longer than the first two put together. <laughs> but there you go. Um, you can always go. There's sandwiches and, and everything, you know, so outside. So here's the third one. He says, come to me, follow me. Now he's saying, abide in me, remain in me. Now this is critical because this is what discipleship's all about. You can read it in the book. Just thought I'd mention that. And this invitation's found in Matthew 15, verses 1 to 8. He says, I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. So we're not talking about, you know, are you saved and all that. We're talking about something more important than that, that he seems to think. He says, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me. And I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay? If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withered. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask, and this is fantastic, ask whatever you wish 
and it will be done for you. Whoa, that's what you call a blank check. <laughs> Signed, okay, in the blood. <laughs> okay? He says, but you see, the thing is that if you're remaining in him and his word is a re- remaining in you, the kind of things that he asks for are the kingdom things. That's what we've got to learn. Okay. So, this is, and now let's get this. Bearing fruit. Bearing fruit, right? This is all about bearing fruit. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Fruitfulness, it appears to me, is the issue that determines whether we bring glory to the Father and we prove and show ourselves to be disciples. Now, what's fruitfulness? Well, fruitfulness, we know what fruitfulness is because the Bible clearly tells us in Galatians 5, it says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, patience, you know, all that kind of stuff that we don't have much of. <laughs> but if we remain in him and, he remain, and his word remains in us, we will begin. So, no doubt, like me, you've never regretted if you, if you are saved this morning, if you are in Christ this morning, and um, it, you've probably never regretted responding to his call and coming to him for salvation, and yet you may have had some disappointments. As time goes on, your expectations are not always realised, are they? The blessings you first enjoyed may have been lost, and instead of your relationship with Christ deepening, it may have remained static. A lot of believers, you know, uh, are stalled in their faith. See, discipleship's about growing and growing and growing, getting nearer and nearer and nearer, you know, taking steps to the right where Jesus is, steps to the right, steps to the right, incrementally, a little bit here, a little bit there. We're becoming closer, more mature, more like. We're beginning to think more like the Father, speak more like the Father, act more like the Father, and... uh, You may have wondered why, with such a mighty and loving saviour, your experience is not a fuller one. Well, the answer is probably very simple. You've wondered. We can all do it. Do you know, I don't trust myself to be out of fellowship, doing it all on my own. I don't trust myself. You know, we gather together, don't we? to be mutually encouraged, stir one another up to love and good works, iron sharpens iron. I don't trust myself not to be in some fellowship and, and so on and so forth. And I have to say that an hour and a half on a Sunday morning isn't quite enough. Our role is just to trust him to keep you. Listen, I, I, I've learned this from Andrew Murray. I was, anybody heard of Andrew Murray? Old guy. In fact, he's so old that he's dead. And, uh, but if you read some of his stuff, it's kind of hard to understand the English. He's kind of, but I tell you what, it's a mine of absolute gems. And I was reading about um, abiding in the vine. And he talked about, and I've and I got this picture. You know, one of the ways of getting more grapes and, and getting more fruit and everything is, is that you actually graft a branch onto a vine stock. So what happens is, you know, you, you, they, they, they'll often, you know, the vine dresser, it, it'll cut a V in the vine stock 
and then he'll, 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 he'll carve to a point the branch and he'll fit that point in that V and then he'll, he'll bind it up and, and what happens is that uh, it grows together and, and more fruit happens. So I began to think about this and I'm thinking, Jesus says, I'm the vine and you know, he got, he got wounded, didn't he? You know, in his side and, and uh, wounded for our transgressions. And of course, you know, the branch has to, be, has to be shaped as well. That's called repentance. You have to cut some stuff away. When you get that repentance and that faith and, that, and then that joining together and the binding up, guess what happens? All of a sudden, the branch that could go nowhere, all of a sudden, this vine stock is taking up all the goodness out of the soil and he's pumping the life and the sap and the blessing and the energy, you know, into that branch. Wow. You know, the life of Jesus pumping. I walk about thinking to myself, what am I doing? I've got the life of Jesus pumping through me. I'm pumped up. And, uh, of course, you know, what happens is then I begin to grow. And as I begin to grow, there's some leaves happen along the way, which is for the maintenance of the health of the branch. But then all of a sudden, all this fruit, all this fruit begins to come. You know, this love, joy, peace, kindness, thinking the way I'm thinking, speaking the way I'm thinking, acting the way I'm thinking. But the fruit isn't for me. The fruit's not for me. Any fruit that's in my life is for you guys. Or anybody else that I come into contact with. <laughs> and I'm producing all this fruit and feeling pretty good about myself. And then, bingo! The father comes and he puts his finger on something. And I have to go through the learning circle. We have to learn to repent and trust God again. That he can make me better. Make me more fruitful. And bring glory to my father. And prove that I'm a disciple of Jesus. And then, goodness knows what, again, the fruit comes again. More fruit. More fruit. And it's a cycle. And guess what? It's a never-ending cycle. And this is the fantastic thing. That fruit that I bear belongs to the vine, but it isn't for the vine in a sense. And this is a fantastic thing that I want to tell you about. And I don't want you to get all proud and puffed up and think of yourself more highly than you ought to. But listen to this. I'm the vine. You're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But listen. A vine cannot produce fruit without a branch. And a just as a branch can't produce fruit without the vine. That is the incredible condescension of God. <laughs> Can you imagine it? Bunch of wallies like us. And he said, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe in you that the fruit that I want to fill this world with is going to come through you as you abide in me. And that's condescension. (laughs) Right? That's Wayne Rooney 
kicking a ball out on the yard with a bunch of nursery school kids. <laughs> Condescension. And our role is just to trust him to keep us. I don't know where I am in my notes because I haven't been looking at them. But there's these. You see, there's... Let me just say this. Paul's expression and its application to us is, is this. He says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. You didn't choose me, Jesus said. I chose you. That you might go and bear fruit. It's because Paul knew that God had grasped him with the purpose of making him one with Christ that he did his utmost to grasp the glorious prize. The faith, experience and assurance that Christ took hold of me gave Paul the courage and the strength to press on and take hold of that for which he had been taken hold of. Paul's expression and its application to the Christian life can be best understood if we think, you know, Pastor Quinton was talking about his little lad, you know. And, uh, but it's like, it's like, can you imagine being, being you know, on, on, uh, this little lad has got a wall which seems to him right up here. And somehow Quinton is up here saying, come on son, grab hold of that. I'll pull you up. There's a foothold, there's a handhold. That's what it's like. The father looking after. And And he points to the spot on which he'll keep him to plant his feet as he leaps upward. The leap will be too high and too dangerous for the child alone, but the father's hand is his trust and he leaps to get hold of the point for which his father apprehending that for which I've been apprehended. Press him forward. It's the father's strength. And this is why it's a hard thing for me. I'm saying to you and I'm, I'm putting some big stuff before you here today to walk like Jesus walks, to think like Jesus thinks, to act like Jesus, behave like him, to be as Jesus in the world. These are big faith things, targets. But the point is, what I'm saying is, that's what God has for you and for me. We're not just meant to be pew warmers. It's not, church isn't just about bums on seats on Sunday mornings. I know, you use bum in a different way. Eh? But anyway, there's no bums in here. But the point that I'm trying to make is it's the Father's strength that secures him and lifts him up and urges him to use his utmost strength. Such is the relationship between Christ and you. Has Christ taken hold of you? Look up to him and know that he's taken hold of you. In Philippians 1, 6, Paul says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus. We remain disciples all the way through. All the way through. Lifelong learners. And friends, you know, you don't learn anything unless you allow yourself to be equipped. And yet, it's not just about what you know. Discipleship is about what you do with what you know. You can know just about everything. But if you don't do what you know to do, you're disobedient. You may know very little. 
You may have only been saved three months and know very little. But if you do what you know to do, then you're 100% obedient. (laughs) Which would you rather be? Your answer. It's in that confidence that you'll gather the courage day by day to say, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. It's because Jesus has taken hold of me and because Jesus keeps me that I dare to say, Lord, I abide in you. So here we are, as the, bra- as the branch in the vine. The connection between the vine and the branch is done for you. <laughs> it's already done. That's why it's, not a, that's why it's a, almost a no-fail as long as we respond to it. The connection's made. The V's been cut in the vine and you have been washed by the word and grafted into that vine. All his sap and energy and life. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, Galatians 4, 6 says. Jesus' teaching on the vine shows us the completeness of the union. Without his disciples, Jesus cannot dispense his blessing to the world. Follow me and I'll make you fishes of men. In a recent survey that I saw in, of evangelical Christians in North America, it was discovered that something like 97% of them had never led one person to Christ. Now that's not to condemn anybody. That's not what we're about, right? It's just to say that Jesus says the fields are white unto harvest, but the problem is the labourers are few. 97% of us aren't producing the fruit. See, the fruit's so important. We went a- apple picking. The interesting thing about, where was that? It was an orchard. Right, so we went apple picking. And if you open the apple, the fruit, if you open it, what's inside of it? Seeds. Absolutely right. So, it's a seeds. What is, what is the job, what's the role, what's the whole raison d'etre, that's French. What's the raison d'etre of an apple tree? What, what's it meant to do? N- huh? No. You see, it isn't. The job of an apple tree is to make more apple trees. You see, the fruit is important. Of course it is, because without the fruit, you haven't got the seed. In, in Genesis 1, 28, somewhere around there, it says, Be fruitful, multiply, and have dominion. Subdue the earth. That's bring kingdom, rule and reign, authority and dominion. It says, be fruitful first, because the seed brings the multiplication. Be fruitful, multiply. They're joined together, but without the fruit, you won't have the seed. And without the seed, you won't get the multiplication. Yes? So, 
if we as disciples of Jesus are producing fruit in our lives, bringing, not only bringing glory to our Father and proving and showing that we are Jesus' disciples, if we're producing fruit in our lives, we'll have seed to sow into the lives of others. These are the kinds of things that we need to start thinking about. Otherwise, it's going to be same old, same old. That's what happens in India. They get something and they start producing some fruit. Before they know where you are, they bought others. Multiplication. Hmm. Consider John fourteen twelve. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. All that Jesus is in heaven, he is for us. All the branch possesses belongs to the vine. The branch has no reason to exist except to be of service to the vine. That is a hard thing, guys. Is that how you look at your life? The only reason I should be here is to be of service to the vine. I don't think we think like that, do we? Especially not in Europe or North America. (laughs) Gone quiet, isn't it? So what? You know, you can preach a message. So what? (laughs) So what? Is it true? Yeah, well, so what? Well, on my part, abiding is nothing but the acceptance of my position the consent to be kept there, the surrender of faith to the strong vine to hold the frail branch that I am. I wonder, you know, who will say with me, yes, Lord, I will. I do abide in you. I'm going to pray. But before I do that, I'm going to just, um, i try singing a song. I'll say I'll try because... Um, but it's about being in a dangerous place, I suppose, and um, and having to operate out of faith. Oh Lord, how incredible is your love! Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we might be called the children of God. And that is what we are. (laughs) Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. I can only yield myself to your love with a prayer that day by day you would reveal to me the mysteries of such knowledge and so encourage and strengthen me to do what my heart longs to do, and that is forever, only, and completely, to abide in you. Amen. In the book, I, I, I write about something that I felt God spoke to me um, Many years ago on a rooftop in India, I was waiting to catch a plane to come back to the United Kingdom. 
I don't know if you believe that God speaks to you, but not all the time. I'm not saying every five seconds, but now and again, I've, I've heard the voice of God speak to me in a way that's absolutely changed my life. Because normally when God speaks, he don't mess about with words. You know, he, he, he's got a reason for it. And I was on the roof and I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, what's wrong with my church? And of course, you know, being a clever dick that I am, I said, well, Lord, I believe it's a lack of authentic discipleship. And the Holy Spirit is quick as anything. And that's how I know it's the Holy Spirit because I would never have thought of it. <laughs> Holy Spirit said to me, no, that's not the problem. The problem is that my people worship false gods. I said, oh no, Lord. I said, that can't be right. We have a revelation that you are the one true living God, creator of heaven and earth. You are the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and we worship you. He said, no, the problem is that my people create me in their own image. And at the end of it, they end up worshipping themselves. Well, I ended up on the floor in tears because I knew I can do that. What do I want God to be like? What would I want God to do for me? What would I want him to say to me? And I make God like that. And of course, then when I worship that God, I'm worshipping myself. (laughs) He created us in his image, but we have the tendency to create him in our own image. And the bottom line is this, what God showed me was that you cannot, you cannot be a disciple of Jesus in your own lordship. He has to be Lord. And that's the thing that every single one of us has to settle in our hearts. Who is going to be the literal, practical Lord of our lives? Amen. Lovely to see you again. God bless you. I love what's happening here. I love your new pastor. He's fantastic. You're doing good. In Jesus' name. But you ain't there yet. Let's stand to our feet. Stand to our feet. Listen, there's a core value that I personally have when it comes to church. And when we hear a message, especially like one today, where it really just grabs the heart and the core of Christianity. Amen? That we're called to be disciples. And so here's what I believe, that that, uh, every time we have an opportunity to hear a word like that, it really must be followed up with a decision on our end. Now, I recognize that a decision on our end is more than just lifting our hands and saying yes. It's really what happens when we leave this place of how we apply that to our lives. So that's one of the reasons why I personally, every time I sit in church, I take notes so I can easily go back and look at those notes and pray those notes and get that in me. Amen? So here's what I want to do. Just simply, I want us to close our eyes. I just simply want us to maybe, uh, before we roll out of here today, say, yeah, I'm going to make a commitment to, to being a person that is a disciple, that's a lifelong learner. Key part there, lifelong learner. And that simply says this, that I'm going to grab it in my heart to say I want to know him and I want to make him known. But you can't make him known without knowing him. You know, uh, earlier, uh, Brother Viv read Philippi, I'm sorry, uh, Matthew 4:19, where it says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So often we want to go make fishers of men, but we forget to follow him. 
uh, to understand that, and you know, I've told you before that fruitfulness always precedes, sorry, intimacy always precedes fruitfulness, right? So we've got to walk with him and know him. And then from that position out of our lives, guess what? People get to have an encounter with God. Amen. So let's just close our eyes. And if you simply say that we don't want to go long today, but if you say, you know what, I'm going to make a commitment to be a disciple, to do, I hate to say it this way, but uh, not the right words, but to almost to improve my word life, improve my worship life, improve my uh, Bible life, that I'm going to actually make a commitment to start knowing him. Just lift both hands. Lift them high if you don't mind, please. Because you're really not lifting for me or Brother Viv. You're really lifting to the Lord. So, Brother Viv, if you don't mind, as we change the culture in this church, coming from people who just sit in the pew to watch, to saying, okay, I'm going to be an active disciple and do what God wants to do, pray for us just in that, please. Yeah, Father, I thank you that every church has a culture, whatever that may be. It's described like it's the way we do things around here. And Father, I'm praying, Lord, that the culture of this church will be changed. Lord, many of us don't like change. And it's a, it's a problem, but it's something, Lord, that um, if we're going to get more like you, something's got to change. And Lord, it isn't going to be you changing to become more like us. It's us changing to become more like you. Father, Lord, you see every hand, you see every heart. And Lord, this isn't... We're not just going through the motions here. But, Lord, I, I, I pray, Lord, that there will be a significant culture change in this church. Because, Lord, when they get a hold of this, when the flywheel begins to motor, Lord, multiplication will take over in such a way, Lord, that this church will double in size every year. That's what's going to happen. And Father, Lord, but it's not about numbers. It's about your kingdom come and your will done, your kingdom authority and dominion being established in the world around us. In this present darkness, Lord, your agents of omnipotence, the ambassadors of Christ, Lord, let there be a culture change. Lord, it won't happen overnight. Lord, it will take a proclamation of the word. It will take a prayerful dependence on your spirit. It will take people and it will take perseverance. But Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in us, on earth, as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name. Amen. You guys appreciate Mr. Bibb?